Okay, we are in the book of Philippians. We're still uh, working our way through there. Great book. I hope you're getting uh, plenty out of it as we open up God's Word and allow Him to speak to us um, clearly through it. I've certainly enjoyed uh, studying it and um, getting much out of it as I see uh, Paul in a really difficult place uh, find joy and uh, actually instruct the Philippians as well and encourage them and build them up too, uh, also as he uh, writes this letter to them. Um, I don't know whether you, some of you people here are AFL sort of followers, fans. Anyway, if you aren't, hopefully you may have seen this, maybe on a news clip or somewhere. But uh, the AFL Grand Final of 2016 uh, it was a fairy tale rise for the Western Bulldogs. Um, they had not won a flag, I think, for 62 years. So that's uh, a really, really long time. But I don't know whether you can remember what the coach Luke Beveridge did at the medal ceremony towards the end. It was a bit of a special moment there. And uh, what happened there was uh, the captain of the team, Rob Murphy, had done his knee at the start of the season, not the start of the season, about four or five games into the season. And uh, therefore he was out for the next 12 months and he was the captain of the team and therefore missed the grand final. Obviously he was pretty cut up about not being able to play. That's probably the pinnacle for some in AFL. They want to get to the grand final and play there and actually win. He didn't. Uh, Luke Beveridge, the coach though, in the medal ceremony, actually took his medal off and gave it to Bob Murphy just as a sign of appreciation and value for what Bob Murphy had done for the club. But I think also as a real act of humility and a real act of valuing who Bob Murphy was and his contribution to the team, not only that year, but all the preceding seasons as well. Uh, a real uh, act, like I said, of humility and valuing uh, Bob Murphy's contribution. This is exactly what Paul wants us to see today uh, as we look at this passage here about valuing others as higher than ourselves, doing this in humility and uh, modelling ourselves after Christ as we do that. So if you've got your Bibles... Uh, Go to Philippians, of course, and we'll read from verses uh, 1 through to 11. Starting at verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a serpent, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Father, thank you today that we can come and uh, have this freedom to open up your word. Holy Spirit, we would ask and pray that you would just uh, come now in your power, your supernatural power, uh, to begin to let this word not just be something we hear with our ears, but something that actually finds place in our hearts. And I pray that you will take that word now and you will use that to uh, shape us and form us into the image of Christ and uh, teach us humility. Teach us unity and love, and teach us to do that as we model it after Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. 
Our Lord, we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, my iPad just went to sleep. Righto. One of Paul's sincere drives in life is to see a growing, thriving community of believers in Christ. Uh, Paul wasn't content just to do a whirlwind sort of um, trip or missions trip around uh, the Mediterranean Sea and get a bunch of conversions. He wasn't that sort of guy who would just then move on to the next town after he'd done that. He wasn't like those, just get a decision and now let's move on and see how many uh, numbers I can get. Paul wasn't into that. He was into growing uh, deep believers in Christ. He was a dedicated servant of Jesus Christ and Paul was led of the Spirit with a deep passion to see the gospel formed through the very foundation of our lives, into every aspect of how we are, who we are, what we think, what we say and what we do. Paul could think of nothing better than to see people totally consumed by Jesus Christ. That was Paul's goal as he was driven around the Mediterranean into these various uh, major cities where he went to. Because he knew that as Jesus became the treasure of our souls, that our lives would would find their ultimate purpose when Jesus found uh, the number one seat in our hearts. And Paul knew that we got an increasing passion for Jesus that their lives would take on more of his character. People would look more like Jesus, and that's a really, really good thing. That's a tremendous thing as we begin to look more like Christ. And not only that, but also that the community of people would would look incredibly attractive to the outside community as well. As they took on the character of Christ, they would become a very attractive community for the outside world to look in on and say, hey, this is a great bunch of people. There's something different about them. So... In the character of Christ, Paul wanted to see that truly shining out of us. And in that, Jesus will look nothing short of magnificent. So this is where Paul goes today here with the Philippians. He wants to see a unified body showing the character of Christ. He wants us to allow a true servant heart to come out of us in unity and love in a sincere way. He really does want us to be willing in humility to prefer others ahead of ourselves. It's a pretty tough call, as we'll get to that shortly. And Paul also wants us to do this by modelling ourselves after Jesus and the humility that he showed us in coming to rescue and save us. In many respects, Paul's instructions today key off from a verse just before this in Philippians 1.27 that says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying he's calling our lives to be a reflection that is uh, of the gospel of Christ. And let that actually shine out of us that we are a changed people. So far, um, leading up to this part, we've had uh, Paul talking about a few things here. He's had Paul talking about the saving and keeping nature of the gospel, how it saves us and keeps us. Paul also talked about a passion for the gospel. If you read through that uh, middle part there of chapter 1, there's a real passion to share the gospel that Paul's on about. And uh, last week we saw that Paul's also talked about a willingness to suffer for the gospel. Here today he's going to call us to unify around the gospel as a uh, group of believers. And he says that here in verses 1 and 2 of Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy... By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You can see that unifying factor there that Paul has in those words. He says, same mind, same love, 
full accord and of one mind again. He wants this unifying element of the gospel to take hold of our hearts, not only as individuals, but as a corporate group of believers, a body of people who love and serve Christ. And this is not the first time Paul would call for this, or this is not the first time Paul would write about this. He actually wrote about it often throughout the New Testament. A classic passage is in 1 Corinthians. And he says there in verses 10 to 13, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you should be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me that by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptised in the name of Paul? Now, in no means do I think the Philippian church was in a better way as what the Corinthian church was, if you knew sort of what was happening in the Corinthian church. But the point is clear. Paul wants a unified body of Christ. He wants a unity around Jesus Christ. And Paul's Paul's message here is also echoed right throughout Scripture in all the letters that he wrote. A unified church is a strong church, and it's an attractive church. It really does serve to make Jesus Christ look spectacular when the church is unified around him. It shows the real power the gospel has as it unifies us together through all the diversity we may have. Because sometimes it's not always easy to be unified, is it? Sometimes it's really challenging. Sometimes we have different agendas, don't we? We have different sort of thoughts that might come in. Perhaps the church leadership or some of the believers are sensing in a certain church, not this church, in a certain church, hey, we need to go in a new direction. The church needs to move into the 21st century and we need to remodel this church so it's more reflective of sort of the current day culture we live in. Perhaps we need to do a contemporary uh, renovation of the church. An older element of the church have been there many, many years think this church is just fine the way it is. You can sort of see developing already a couple of different agendas, a couple of different thoughts there. It could be like Houston, we've got a problem. We've got a problem arriving here now. It's really important that in unity, we learn to agree on the majors and be willing to uh, agree to disagree on the minors. It's a really important thing in in, um, unity to get that. Because there's nothing wrong with a renovation of the church to more reflect the contemporary nature of the day. If the church's main thrust is to still uh, have spirit-filled, solid, gospel-empowered preaching to make disciples, if that's still the main thrust, it really doesn't matter if we change the curtains, change the carpet and change the chairs. That won't matter. If the main thrust is still to make disciples, that's good. A few things on on the side, we can agree to disagree when it comes to that. So unity is really, really important here. And Paul, again, is uh, calling this unity from the foundation of this life-changing message here of the gospel. We see that in verse 1. He says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he's saying from these things, if these things are operating in your life, the encouragement of Christ, make it complete by being of one mind. Stay focused on the majors of the gospel and don't let these minors come in and minor issues come in and divide you, Paul is saying here. Unity. A call to unity. Second call here that Paul has is for a growing, thriving fellowship of believers is called to love each other. To love each other. That sounds really simple, but uh, Paul is going to actually take us through here what this looks like. 
This is where unity will grow from. Verses 3 and 4 is where we actually begin to see here where Paul's going. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Ouch! That stings a bit when you read that, doesn't it? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others of more value than yourself. This verse is actually telling me to value people higher than myself. Higher than myself. Other people more value than me. Now that thought in comparison with the world is like a thought that is right off the Richter scale. Because the world would say, you're number one. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying count others of more significance than yourself. In our natural mind, generally speaking, we have a bent or attitude of looking down upon other people. It just happens. We walk into a room and immediately we have these thoughts perhaps going through our mind. It could be, well, at least I've got a better shape than her. Well, at least I'm taller than him. You may not verbally express these things, but they're sort of rolling through our mind. Mate, I'm not as dumb as that person over there. I've got to be real careful while I look at them and say these things too. I'm not as dumb as that person over there. But these are the thoughts that come through, aren't they? Huh. At least my clothes are in fashion. Well, at least my car is way better than theirs. These thoughts come through our mind, don't they? You go in there and you start to compare. You start to say these sort of things. There's a real sense where we actually begin to devalue people by these crazy measurements. It's just crazy. We measure people by their body shape, by their clothing, by their intelligence and their wealth. And we begin to judge them. Actually, it's amazing how often when we pull those measurements out, we always seem to rise to the top, don't we? And somehow everybody else around about us just seems to just keep sinking lower and lower as we just sort of get these crazy measurements. See, the issue there at stake is pride. It's amazing. It's the opposite to humility. It's pride. It just comes in and it just rests in our heart and it begins to take over. We so easily fall in love with ourselves and we just allow pride to carry us away into our own little me self-centred kingdom. It does. It just carries us away into our own little self-centred kingdom. Like, I've already got it all together. Why don't everybody else just catch up to me? Why can't everybody else be like me? Pride sets in and it kills love and will ultimately destroy unity. We can't possibly, we can't possibly love other people as more valuable than ourselves when we love ourselves more than other people. So that again, we can't possibly love other people as more valuable than ourselves when we love ourselves more than other people. It just won't happen. It won't happen. Paul says here, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Be cool. In other words, don't elevate yourself through some sort of self-centred drive or in arrogance before others. Don't elevate yourself in some sort of self-centred drive of selfish ambition. In other words, don't promote yourself as you walk around the streets of Shepherd as the latest hot thing to hit the streets of Shepherd. 
And now you all definitely have got to catch up with me because I am the thing. It's amazing. I see pictures on Instagram and Facebook and I wonder what is the motivation sometimes behind these selfies. I really do. I see these selfies on Facebook and Instagram and I think what is the motivation that is sitting behind these selfies? What are these people really wanting others to think about them when they see these pictures they post up on social media? What generates the thought to put this selfie on there? Okay, what will somebody else think about me when they see that picture? What's the motivation behind that? Are these people insecure about themselves? So they put up a picture hoping to get 50 likes, 100 likes, 200 likes? Are they feeling insecure and they want to put a photo up so maybe I'll get a whole bunch of likes and start to feel better about myself? You might get 75 likes and you put the next picture up and it goes back to 42 likes, then you feel bad. Then you've got to do a better picture again, so I get the likes back up there again. I heard of one guy in the UK taking 200 selfies a day and posting them. Now, obviously he had a problem, but he was doing 200 selfies a day on Instagram or Facebook or wherever it was. Or are these people putting up these pictures so that others will see how hot and sexy I am? Or how cool I am or how special I am? Or look at the place I'm at. The only way to be at this place is you need lots of money to get a photo taken here. What is the drive and the motivation behind them? What is the driving desire here and thought that makes them post a picture with these sort of sensual pouting lips? Pouting, pouting lips. You've, saw, you've probably all seen them. It's just this crazy look. What response are they looking for? Can I say, often the motivation for that is nothing less than selfish ambition. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Selfish ambition. Look at me and see how great I am. Will you please just recognise how special I am? And the root that lies at the bottom of that desire is nothing short of pride. We love ourselves and we think way too highly of ourselves. It's filled with selfish ambition and it's filled with conceit. And this root of pride will eventually destroy you and it will blow apart the genuine gospel fellowship that you may be trying to build. It just won't happen. These selfies don't serve to do that. It's selfish ambition. James says in chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Ultimately, in that proud situation, God opposes that and he pushes that away. God wants us to promote spirit-empowered gospel love. And he wants us to do that by walking in humility, valuing others as higher than ourselves. He wants us to count others as more significant than ourselves. So how do we do this, Paul? How do we develop this attitude here of counting others of more significance than myself? Well, Paul shows us here what the ultimate example of humility is. And Paul actually says, look no further than Jesus Christ. He says, look no further than him for the ultimate example of humility. And Paul steps through this here in these final verses in this passage here in Philippians. In verse 5 and 6, he says this about Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's a really big verse there. 
A really, really big verse. Jesus is totally and completely fully God. No question about that. The Bible says he's fully God and fully man. Jesus is God. It says it there, though he was in the form of God. Jesus, the most glorious, splendid, magnificent, beautiful being that ever exists, has no rivals and he has no competitors. Jesus is absolutely in a league of his own, supremely powerful and is totally unmatched in any possible conceivable way. The Avengers have nothing on Jesus. I went and saw Black Panther earlier this week. That's a good film, but he has nothing upon Jesus whatsoever, okay? Jesus is in a league of his own. But note here what happens in verse 6. Jesus wasn't clutching onto or clinging onto a reputation of equality with God. He wasn't grasping and trying to hang on to this reputation here. Jesus doesn't have an identity crisis in his life. Jesus doesn't need to post selfies out there to remind himself who he is. He's not grasping onto something. He's not trying to clutch onto a reputation here. He's allowing that to humbly slip away and just be simply known as Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 7, let's see another step here in humility. It says there in verse 7, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When the Son of God emptied himself, it doesn't mean he ceased to be God. So don't let us get that wrong. He didn't empty himself of all those powers. He didn't cease to be God. What this means is the God of all glory in the Son of God, Jesus, in his supreme splendour and in complete humility, laid aside his glory and splendour to become one of us. Being born in the likeness of man, it tells us in that passage. Jesus didn't walk around with his glory, as it were, emanating brilliantly out of his person. He just looked like any other Palestinian on that particular time. That's who he was. He was just wandering around Nazareth and he was just wandering around Capernaum and he was going across the Sea of Galilee and you wouldn't have picked him out from any other person. His glory and his splendour, as it were, were clothed in humanity at that time. He emptied himself of that. So we see here this picture here of the Son of God descending downwards to become one of us here in humility. But it goes further. Look in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Son of God, the ultimate example of humility, now goes to the ultimate of lows for his particular day. To die on a Roman cross was shameful and it was disgusting. It's the worst death imaginable. It's the most humiliating death in all possible terms. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks' time on Good Friday. But it's a terrible, terrible death. If you want to get a bit of an idea of who that punishment may be reserved for in some countries today, it would be for multiple sex offenders or pedophiles or serial rapists of that sort of shame. That sort of punishment would be reserved for people perhaps of that nature. So it gives a picture here of the disgust that Jesus actually faced in dying that death. So Jesus dies the most embarrassing and degrading death possible. In humility, it can't get any lower. To lower yourself to that level, you've actually hit rock bottom as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as the culture is concerned. 
everybody's above you when you're that low. But you see, this is what Paul wants us to see here and to go to in humility. Paul wants to see us to see here that Jesus Christ, in his absolute surrender to the will of God, his Father, for the salvation of our souls, did all that in becoming nothing so that he could save us. He did all that so that he could become one of us and ultimately lay down his life upon that cross to rescue and save us. Here is the ultimate object of humility. Jesus, who has everything, becomes nothing. So that we who have nothing can have everything now in him. Jesus, who has everything, becomes nothing. So that we who have nothing can now have everything in him. Paul says, look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Look to this model of humility here in him and model yourself after that. Now, humility is really challenging. It's really challenging. It really does confront our brokenness and our pride. It just meets it head on. It's so, so easy to have false humility. It's so easy to put on a mask of humility at times. We just do a few kind things for somebody. And very often that will come from a place where perhaps we've offended somebody, so we want to try and get them back on side because I need them to help me do something down the track. So then we go and do a few kind things just to sort of you know, appease them somewhat and get them back on track again. But really it's a false humility because what happens after that? We just go back to our old ways again and our attitude really hasn't changed at all. We've actually just used them to get something out of them and we've just put on a bit of false humility to try and get things right again. False humility happens really, really easily. That's not the humility here that Paul is talking about. Because that is just like skin deep. And that is just like enough to like, to like get what I want out of that person next. The humility that Paul is talking about here is one that has been radically changed by the Holy Spirit through the message of the gospel. It's deep, deep change that Paul's talking about here in this humility. You see, this humility here isn't about you. This humility isn't about you. In fact, when the Spirit brings the gospel to bear upon our heart, you or I, we totally disappear from the scene. Life now is not about me at all. The gospel now has our focus upon Jesus and others. When we are born again, we are now filled with the love of Christ and we desire to serve Him and we have an entirely new focus. It's now about Jesus and it's about others. And in that, we just learn to forget about ourselves. We learn to actually just become more focused upon Christ and we forget about ourselves. We don't have this inward focus continually looking at me. Jesus radically changes the way we see things. Paul gives us a great picture of this in the book of Acts and how in regards to Jesus and the gospel in his life. And he says this in Acts 20, 24. Remarkable. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Can you see what Paul is saying there? But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Paul's become filled with a whole new passion and a whole new love. He has this, this incredible passion that has taken over his heart and his soul. 
and his self-importance has just disappeared. He's slipped off the scene as far as who is prominent in his life. He's primarily now concerned about serving Jesus. Jesus takes first place in Paul's life. And from there, if you follow Paul through the New Testament, he then lives the rest of his days serving Christ, sharing the gospel to others all around the Mediterranean and serving other people. Serving Jesus and serving others. For Paul, humility has never been about himself. It's not about him. It's actually about Jesus first and others second and then me, Paul, last. This might raise an objection here, though, as we think about that. So you're saying Jesus first, others second, and me last. So so am I supposed to see myself as a piece of dirt in comparison to other people? Am I supposed to just grovel on the ground and sort of just, you know, be this humble sort of person in front of others? Am I supposed to feel worthless? And everybody else is just way more significant than me? What about me in all this? Could be an objection someone could uh, come from and say, you know, that's... If I'm going to do like that, I'm going to feel like that. Now, that's not what Paul's saying here. We've got to grovel in the dirt and feel like a piece of dirt around people. Paul wants an attitude here to develop that loves people, appreciates people, and values people just as Jesus does. This is the attitude that he's trying to develop here. And to help this attitude to develop, he says, count others as more significant than yourselves. So he's not saying you've got to grovel in the dirt. He says just look at people and value them as more significant than yourself. And to do this, we've got to take our eyes off ourselves. It will never work if we keep looking back in ourselves, upon ourselves. We will never value people higher than ourselves. So, that, you, so you don't have to grovel in the dirt to do that. Because if you do begin to grovel in the dirt and begin to sort of spiral downwards, you will run the risk of being on this self-pity trip. You really will. Just seeking attention for yourself. Your focus will now be all about me. And it will lead you into a deep spiral downwards into despair. It will be just poor me, poor me, poor me if you keep looking inwards and not outwards. And here's the remarkable thing. When you begin to serve Jesus first and others second and yourself last, here's what you'll find. Here's what you'll find. You'll actually find that your problems will begin to diminish. As you realign your focus, as you realign your vision, you'll begin to see all these, what you thought were so-called massive problems in your life, you'll begin to see them to diminish. You'll discover a newfound joy and blessing in serving, in serving Jesus first and others second and yourself last. It will just happen. That's the blessing that God gives as we take our eyes off ourselves and put them on to Jesus and to others. See, humility is not about you. It's not about me. It's never been about you. It's always been absolutely about Jesus and others. And it's really vital we get that order right. I learned this in Sunday school many years ago. It was this. It was Jesus plus others plus you equals joy. J for Jesus, O for others, why for you? If you get that order, it equals joy. And it is so, so true. Serve Jesus first, serve others second, and look after yourself third, and you'll get joy. That'll happen. So how do we grow and develop this humility? Well, Paul helps us here again because he gives us here an answer that Jesus demonstrates for us in verse 8. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. How did Jesus practice humility? He practiced it by obedience, by being obedient. Sometimes the most humbling thing you can do is just be obedient to what you're told. Because in many times, in many places, when you're told to do something, your first reaction is, I don't want to do it. I'm the boss of me. I'll do what I want. If you just do as you're told, that'll actually help grow obedience. And Jesus modelled that. The Father asked him to to become obedient to the point of death, and Jesus willingly obeyed. Practice obedience. Practice obedience, and it will grow humility in your heart. It won't be easy, but if you practice obedience, it will grow humility in your heart. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to become humble and to see that reflect out of your life. It will happen. So why is this humility really so important? Why is Paul sort of, you know, angling at this or aiming towards this? Let's have a look at these last couple of verses here in Philippians which will help us to see why it's so important. It says this in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory to the glory of God the Father. It's probably a whole other sermon in those last couple of verses there. And we sung that song before we had that. But we've got to see here, every single person who's ever existed. Those under the earth who are, who are now dead. Those alive, those who will come to be. Every single person that's ever existed will one day bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single person without exception. And we'll do this in either two ways. We will either bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord with joy and jubilation. Or we will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord through gritted teeth and absolute despair. Even all those who reject the gospel now will one day absolutely acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, but they will do it through gritted teeth and through absolute despair. Stephen Hawking, the atheist who died this week, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, all his life he actually said the very opposite. A great mathematician and a very intelligent guy died this week, all of his life professing, no, there's no God, that's all a waste of time. He will bow the knee and confess with his tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a staggering thought. So with that, we have a mission. We have a mission. We want people to know Jesus and confess that through joy and jubilation, not in despair and gritted teeth. We have a mission. And part of that mission is to be a community of believers that walks in humility so that Jesus is glorified through us and that we are, as it were, somewhat attractive in our character so that people may just ask us, what is the hope that lies within you? Why are you so humble? Why do you value others as higher than yourselves? This is the reason why Paul wants us to angle towards this attitude of humility so that people will see Christ, as it were, shining out through our lives radiating the gospel, radiating the transforming power that Jesus brings. This is why Paul wants humility. Really, really critical stuff. So as we think about that, we think about these big statements here that Paul makes, valuing others higher than ourselves. 
Where do we sit with that? Where do we sit with counting others as more significant than ourselves? Do our lives really show that? Is there examples in our life that really show that? If somebody was able to view your life and see the thoughts ranging through your mind, would they see a person of humility? Is that what would they see? Or would they see a person living a self-centred life and only really concerned about themselves? What would they see? I've got good news for you, though, in this today, and it's in verse 5 here as we close. It says this. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We can have this mind or this attitude here of humility because it's already ours in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you now have the mind of Christ being, as it were, transformed into your mind by the work of God's Spirit. That is a real picture of God's grace. We don't work this up out of self-effort. We partner with the Holy Spirit, working the mind of Christ in and through our mind now, transforming us. So we can begin to develop this humility and see it come out and be such an attractive thing. This is the grace that God gives here right in this passage. It's in Christ Jesus and the mind that he's given to us already. So you might fail some of those questions just like I fail some of those questions. But I can come back to Christ and say, you have given me that mind and you've given me your spirit. Now I can work that mind out through my life to no longer inwardly focus on me where it's not about me, 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 me. It's now about Jesus and it's now about belly mothers higher than me. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you and we praise you today that we can uh, hear this truth. Uh, Lord, in many ways it is an affronting truth and a confronting truth. It does. In so many ways, Lord, pride is in every single person in this building to one degree or another. And in many ways we do want to self-promote. Well, we do want to embark down this path of selfish ambition and conceit. God, we thank you that your word uh, is a word that cuts into our heart. And Lord, it reveals uh, what's happening in our heart. It can be painful, that can be hard, but Lord, it's really, really good for us. Because then you follow that up, Lord, with your grace uh, to heal us and to restore us. So Lord, today I pray, help us. Help us here with the truth of what you've spoken uh, in Philippians to to have this um, unity together as a body of people. And have this unity of love, Lord, in humility where we actually prefer one another ahead of ourselves. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would use this as a, uh, an effective witnessing tool and mission tool for us here in the greater shepherding community. That people would look in upon Exchange Church. People would look in upon the lives of the believers here who are connected to this church and they would see there's something different about these people. They walk in humility. They prefer others ahead of themselves. They actually take the time to talk to people we wouldn't even bother to talk to. I pray, Holy Spirit, today you would work that deep in my heart and deep in the heart of all those here uh, before me today. And I pray that through that, that Jesus truly would be honoured. And he would be declared as, as Lord. And we would see people who would confess him in joy and jubilation and not Lord in some point in the future through gritted teeth and despair, then confess him as Lord. 
Help us today in that, I pray. And Lord, I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to wrap up before we come to a couple of songs or a song, um, any questions from today's talk or any thoughts? Huh? All good. Oh, oh, Roz. Sorry, I just love the ESV translation that says that the gift is from God yeah. to have that mind. The NIV says that it's really, uh, your attitude should be the same. So it's kind of like a man from the own Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a really important... It's just, it's just a couple of tiny little words, but it means so much. It's the mind of Christ in you. You're not trying to find it somewhere and shove it in there somehow. It's the work that the Holy Spirit does. The, the mind of Christ is in us. We now just have to work that out. And that's our next talk in Philippians. Is it's working out what God's worked into us in a couple of weeks' time. So, great, great thought, Ross. Thanks for that. Right, we'll have a song to finish up. Um, for all those who would like to see me uh, after service for prayer or any questions, I uh, would love to catch up with you.